We're limping toward the end of the year, folks, and more importantly, Sydney's been allowed back into pubs, which is great for me because it means that I have people to bounce my ideas off instead of just watching too much TV like a little goblin. So recently, I was at the pub with a friend, and at one point, it doesn't matter why, I ended up yelling, I don't trust Ryan Reynolds, he's up to something. Now, every so often on this podcast, we do an episode that's just about a guy. Mostly action guys, sometimes weird guys, sometimes just the unique overlap of the two, you know? Despite my initial gut reaction, I'm not inherently against Ryan Reynolds. He's something of a late 90s, early noughties poster boy, so he's just kind of forever lodged in my brain as a tanned dude with frosted tips, even though I know he's like definitely a dad now and is going fashionably grey. But this podcast's dedication to investigating guys and what they're up to knows no bounds. Ryan Reynolds is some guy, and having rewatched a bunch of his films, I have some questions. <laughs> I'm here with my little magnifying glass and my sexy dollar store detective costume to do a deep dive. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds launched his acting career in Canada in the early 90s on a teen soap called Hillside. He worked sporadically throughout the mid-90s, and you can see him pop up in episodes of The X-Files and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but his big break came in 1998 with the sitcom Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place, which ran for four seasons and is mostly about what it says on the tin. From there, he's done a bunch of roles that have included everything from rom-coms to action flicks to smaller indie dramas. But now, in 2021, you probably know him for two things. First, being a nice guy who loves his wife, actress Blake Lively, and two, for being Deadpool in the 2016 surprise box office success, Deadpool. (laughs) Now, like I said in the intro, this podcast loves to occasionally just do an episode that's about wondering what the fuck some guy is up to. But the thing with doing an entire episode that's just about some Hollywood guy is that they have to either be exceptional at what they do or just insane. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds is neither, really. He's a fine enough actor. Like, you're not going to see him win an Oscar, but he also has the good grace not to be taking on needlessly slow and serious roles in an attempt to win an Oscar. So it kind of balances out overall. I have a great appreciation for actors who know their range, And the most insane thing he's done recently is become the co-owner of a Welsh football team, which is more frivolous than insane. He's not the first celebrity to start buying into sports teams. Bon Jovi owned the majority share of an American football team called the Philadelphia Soul. Russell Crowe co-owned Australian NRL team the Rabbitohs. I'm obligated on behalf of the three people that I know and love who are into the NRL, including the producer of this podcast, to say... Glory, glory to South Sydney, up the mighty rabbitos. But I want you to know that these are just words to me. (laughs) I digress. Ryan Reynolds owns a Welsh football team and has started making a documentary on them. The point is, he feels like a hard guy to do a full episode on because he's just sort of universally beloved. 
every profile written on him fastidiously documents what a hard worker and a nice guy he is. He shows up to do a tiki personal branding slash actual branding exercise every now and then. Aside from a football team, he also owned or owns a gin company, a marketing firm, and a mobile service provider. And then he goes and does a middle-of-the-road box office hit and disappears in a cloud of smoke. What could you possibly say about such a nice guy? Well, look, it's hard to do a full episode, yes, but not impossible. You see, having watched an unconscionable number of Ryan Reynolds movies back-to-back now, I've noticed a distinct similarity in the type of character Reynolds plays, and I'm developing a theory. I call this theory the Ryan Reynolds Ouroboros. The Ouroboros, of course, being the symbol of a snake eating its own tail, which is found across cultures and is often interpreted as a symbol for eternal cyclical renewal. Ryan Reynolds is a handsome Canadian snake, slowly devouring his own tail, endlessly renewing the architecture of one character in shiny new skin. Now, if you spend any time online reading listicles or watching YouTube clips of late-night shows where Ryan Reynolds really thrives on being a nice guy with a quick wit, there's a good chance you're thinking, Alex, everyone loves Ryan Reynolds. He's funny in interviews and he seems like a nice man who loves his wife. Why are you out here associating him with the incredibly disturbing image of a man stripping his own skin from the feet up using only his teeth? And the main answer is because I pictured it and now you have to too. (laughs) But the second answer is, look, hear me out. Obviously, it's not uncommon for actors of a certain type to play the same or similar roles over and over again. Sometimes it's easier to just sink into comfortable roles like a warm bath If everyone thinks you look like the hero who runs into the burning building or the hapless loser getting saved, then why fight the feeling? Not everyone's an artist. Mark Wahlberg is never not going to play a guy from Boston with a chip on his shoulder, and he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You can stick with what you know and still be profitable. But generally, with this kind of typecasting, people take roles that are the same when you boil them down. They're playing a cop, and then a detective, and then an FBI agent, and then a private detective, and then an army captain with an inherent sense of justice trying to right a wrong. Those are all big damn heroes in authoritative positions, looking a bit like they might be an underdog for a second because their sense of justice is just so much larger than everybody else's. They're all the same role. What I think is kind of interesting about Ryan Reynolds' roles over time is that he's playing the same guy in every movie, but in characters that are vastly different. He's played crooked cops, frat boys, superheroes, antiheroes, love interests, art thieves, and family men just trying to fix up that haunted house they sunk their life savings into for some reason. He's done some genre hopping. The motivations vary, but the guy is still the same. And to understand why this is fascinating rather than either infuriating or some sort of indictment of his acting, I think we have to first understand why Reynolds' career almost completely stalled. Only from there can we understand his self-consuming reinvention. Ryan Reynolds looks like a leading man. He's six foot two with tan skin, a megawatt smile, and a square jaw. He was named People's Sexiest Man Alive in 2010, which is a measure of something, 
even if it's just how hot the overlap of people who still buy print media and people who are interested in celebrities find you. Anyway, despite that, his career was something of a slow build. His filmography is all over the place. It goes from National Lampoons to Blade to the Amityville Horror to X-Men, with stops over at bit parts in weird indie flicks in the middle. But by 2011, following his turn as Wade Wilson in the X-Men films, and with a successful run in The Proposal alongside Sandra Bullock, Hollywood decided that Ryan Reynolds was ready for the big leagues. They cast him as a bona fide DC comic book hero, the Green Lantern. This was a proper, big-budget superhero film. A real career maker. Except that it was bad. (laughs) Like, mind-numbingly, abysmally bad. I'll give you a sample of some of the reviews. The Associated Press called it a joyless amalgamation of expository dialogue and special effects that aren't especially special, The Rotten Tomatoes Review Amalgamator calls it noisy, overproduced, and thinly written. There was also this kind of mean undercurrent to a lot of the criticism, which pointed out Ryan Reynolds' chiseled face as an annoyance, as opposed to just kind of being a stock standard thing that movie stars have. It was named one of the 10 worst films of 2011, and it made $219 million at the box office off the back of a $200 million budget. I have a high tolerance for this kind of terrible film, and even I have really struggled to get through it. It's not good. In fact, it was so resoundingly not good that it essentially derailed Reynolds' career immediately. The sequel that Warner Brothers had planned was instantly cancelled, thus stripping away the only reason anyone would ever sign on to a superhero movie. Franchise money and job security. The fact that his performance wasn't called out as some sort of saving grace in an otherwise terrible film essentially meant that he was slapped with a big sticker that said box office poison and relegated to the ranks of indie films, bland comedies, and documentary narration. If that seems like a fairly large overreaction to a film that mostly seemed to be suffering from overambition and underdelivery, I think you're probably right. But Sam Adams' writing for Slate has really hit on why Reynolds' career is littered with so many half-starts. He says, No matter how hard Reynolds tried to come across as a good-hearted hero, like the hapless assistant dragooned into a green card marriage by Sandra Bullock's Canadian book editor in The Proposal, Reynolds couldn't help but radiate a certain smarminess. It was as if he'd already watched the movie and knew that you were going to end up having to like him, whether you wanted to or not. I think this is true to a certain extent, perhaps because in interviews Reynolds tends to also lean into this like smart alec humour that could be smugly mean if he let it. Coupled with movie star looks, that's a recipe for resentment, even if you can't put your finger on why, as exemplified by the criticism of Green Lantern that spent an inordinate amount of time just thinking about how irritatingly straight Reynolds' teeth were. Which brings me back to the Ryan Reynolds or Boris and perhaps the root of all smarminess. His first role in Two Guys, A Girl, in a Pizza Place is not the snake, necessarily, but I think it's more like a snake egg. The birth before the rebirth, if you will. Reynolds plays one of the titular guys, uh, Michael Berg Bergen, a perpetual slacker who plays the zany weirdo to his roommate straight man. 
The character is likable, but in that smarmy TV way where if you knew anyone like him in real life, you'd probably want to murder him. Berg is a lovable annoyance and a secret genius whose roommate is probably rightfully indignant that he effortlessly breezes through a triple major before deciding to go to medical school on a whim and preparing for his exams by watching reruns of General Hospital. He gives great life advice, but he's also a fuck-up who can't stay serious for more than a minute. Following the show's cancellation, Reynolds went on to star in National Lampoon's Van Wilder Party Liaison in 2002. He plays Van Wilder, a beloved big man on campus who, despite his cool guy status, is never cruel, but rather lives to show fellow college kids the full spectrum of earthly delights available to students. He knows everything about everyone on campus and plans parties to reflect their personalities. He's also a slacker and a secret genius who's refusing to graduate because he's scared of the real world. He speaks only in zingy one-liners and you can almost feel the wink at the camera. This is the first rebirth. The character is essentially Berg again, but with some of the more abrasive elements, like his selfishness, smoothed out. The Ryan Reynolds Ouroboros becomes fully formed here. Every role that Reynolds plays from here on out takes this archetype and refines it. Even in roles where he was supposed to be the big stupid action guy, like in Blade Trinity, for example, he's still given the comedic crescendos. Each new iteration smooths away something that might have gone out of style. Less gross-out sex humour, more wide-eyed interest in bossy women, little tweaks to the dick jokes to make sure they're not as homophobic. Whatever works for the time period. The problem is these characters are still not instantly lovable. The smarminess that Adams pointed out is still there. So how did he turn it around then? Adam's argument for how Ryan Reynolds went from box office dud to beloved Hollywood wife guy is simple. He took a page out of Catherine Hepburn's book and let himself take the punch. In the 1930s, Catherine Hepburn was declared to be box office poison by the independent theatre owners of America after people got sick of seeing a woman with willpower and opinions on the screen. The solution was a comeback vehicle where she was still a woman with opinions, but coming up against a cruel male lead who takes it down a notch. Something for the Hepburn haters, something for the Hepburn lovers, with the real winner being Hepburn's revitalised career. Adams argues that Reynolds has done the same thing. He says, Reynolds couldn't hide his pretty face in every movie, of course, but he made up for it by turning himself into a human punching bag. The thing about Reynolds' characters in these movies is that they've earned their cockiness up to a point. But that slight distance from the top eats away at them, and it lets us watch them with affection instead of resentment. And the first vehicle he had to do that with was Deadpool. The so-called Merc with a Mouth, the character of Deadpool gave Reynolds free reign to make as many blue jokes as he liked. Jokes about pegging, jokes about wanting to smooch the giant metal X-Man, Colossus. Jokes about getting your lower half blown off and replacing it with a little baby body as it regenerates. The idea of Deadpool is that he's extremely good at what he does, a genius even, but he's also too unhinged not to also be a complete liability. He constantly breaks the fourth wall to continue making quips at the audience, even when he's alone. It'd probably be unbearable if he wasn't getting the absolute living shit kicked out of him over and over again. Deadpool can't die. That's his mutation and his 
curse. But that also gave Reynolds, who co-wrote the film, free reign to get shot in the head, blown up by a grenade, have his legs cut off, amputate his own arms, and just generally kind of use his body as a shield and an additional weapon. It's maximum snark followed by maximum violence. Something for the lovers and for the haters. This pattern continued into other films like Hitman's Bodyguard and its sequel, Six Underground, or most recently, Red Notice, where Reynolds' character has everything almost perfect, but then is thwarted by his own self-assuredness and righteously smacked around by the universe. Now, I think if you were talking to someone who hadn't watched eight Ryan Reynolds movies back-to-back in a weekend, they'd probably be inclined to say that my Ryan Reynolds or a Boris theory only really kicks in when Deadpool is released in 2016. After all, that's when Reynolds actually becomes unrelentingly likable again. But I don't think that takes into account the fact that there hasn't been any real shift in the characters themselves. They're all slacker geniuses who talk a mile a minute, have secret hearts of gold, and get in their own way a lot. The only difference now is that we're more willing to let the Ryan Reynolds industrial complex succeed because he's humbly allowed his face to be cracked open in new and creative ways. So... What have we learned from looking at the Ryan Reynolds or a Boris? Look, not a lot, really. (laughs) Sometimes an episode about a guy is just a look at some dude making the system work for him. And that's okay. Long may he continue to shed his tanned Canadian skin and be reborn as a slightly sandpapered version of the previous Reynolds, ready to get the shit kicked out of him. Well, uh, that was an episode on Ryan Reynolds. I think the main thing that I got out of it is that I need someone to re-watch the Deadpool movies for me and tell me if they hold up. I've watched so many Ryan Reynolds movies back to back, it's become literally impossible for me to tell if they're any better or worse than other things that he's done. So if you've recently re-watched the Deadpool movies, talk to me about it next time you see me at the pub. Peace. Peace.